What did you just do with the light, Sean? I'm making myself pretty. Here, let me okay, dim you it. look yeah. good. You look good. I do? Nice. All right, Sean. Greetings and welcome to Obscuria Filmcast, where we discuss the strange, the esoteric, the absurd films that have slipped through the cracks of history. Today, we've got uh, Sean presenting. Arizona Dream. Uh, released in 1994, starring Johnny Depp, Vincent Gallo, Faye Dunaway, Lily Taylor, and Jerry Lewis, with Paul Paulina Poroskova is in there too, the supermodel. She made some headlines like last last month. She's in this, and I, and I did the math. She was 28 when she did this movie. She was pretty good. She actually started a mo movie in the 80s with Tom Selleck. But I remember seeing Arizona Dream on Comedy Central way back when. And it, you know, back when they used to play movies on TV, they would always play it in like uh, loops or cycles or whatever else anyway. So I saw it a few times, not really from beginning to end, but I would catch the beginning one time or the end or what, whatever else. And it was always so this like wacky, weird, artistic, funny, dramatic, movie all in all in one that at least for me is the epitome of 90s independent cinema uh the the director i can't pronounce his name he's a serbian french man group in france emir some something i can't pronounce his name but it seems like he shot this movie in 1992 and then you know he put it together whatever else it was released in 94 with not much uh fan fanfare i guess that's why it landed on Comedy Central so soon, but Jerry Lewis is in, it and he didn't he didn't really do a lot of roles. He, I mean, outside of his own directing, he he he, he was in a lot of movies that he directed himself, but outside of that, he didn't do much. I and think he it's was in this and he was phenomenal. Sorry to interrupt. Kusturica, Emir Kusturica, 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 Costa kind of, Rica. Kind of, yeah, no, <laughs> Kusturica, Kusturica, Emir. You're 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 wonderful, and I'm sure he still smokes cig uh, cigarettes. But it was just this is, movie is just fan fantastic, and it seemed to me uh, this filmmaker, this movie is like an homage of American cinema, which is why I wanted to wear my uh, famous cowboy hat tonight. Uh, to you know, because it's Ar it's Arizona Dream, and I want to look good, so you know, I figured. I figured that's that's what I did, but that's why I want to recommend this movie because it is obscure. It has everything. Even like watching it again, the takes were long, and it seemed like like this director like planned out these elaborate takes, which I love that stuff. You know, the, the camera goes here, the actors go there, the camera moves, they they go over there. Some of the takes, the one in the Cadillac dealership is like was like six minutes. It's like it's fan it's fantastic it's fantastic. The story is loose. But it's tied together with a theme of airplane or of flying, of flight. You see fish flying. And uh, what I really liked about it is that it was bookended in this Eskimo story. So it was it, a lot of the majority of it takes place in Arizona. You see Johnny Depp as a game preserve animal ranger in New York doing things with fish and then he 
goes to Arizona and it kind of, that's where the dream kind of starts because he kind of gets kidnapped by Vincent Gallo and the movie has you to believe that Vincent Gallo drove from New York City to Arizona in like one night. So that's, is that the beginning of the dream or, or whatever? Uh, but, but it was bookended with these two Eskimo storylines, one in the beginning and one in the end with this with this narr- with this narration and i just thought that was wonderful because the eskimo stuff really has nothing to do with the actual movie but that's what i like about it because with the with the french they're more into philosophies you know they're not really a three act structure type of narrative here they're into philosophies and exploring it and uh that's what i caught in in arizona dream i find it as as one of the rare gems that you get to introduce to your friends of you like oh you like weird stuff? Check out this movie because it basically has everything. And here and here you go. Even Wes Anderson, I thought, was a little uh, inspired by this film. The way that they do I some some things. But I would like to hear uh, what everyone else has to say. Judy, yeah, Judy, I'll go. Totally. Um, thank you for picking this film, Sean. Um, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't quite say I loved it just because um, I'm the type I like to fil- films that I notice myself thinking about after are typically the ones I that I put in that category. But I really enjoyed watching it. Um, specifically, the um, and I don't think this will get too much into spoilers. I don't know if you can do too many spoilers with this film, aside from the ending. I don't uh, think we should worry about spoilers. Or... Don't worry about spoilers. Okay. Yeah. The dining scene, the first scene after the car dealership when they're at the house and they, uh, the two women, Faye Dunaway um, and Lily Allen get into a fight and then she's like, I'm going to kill myself. And it was such a great scene. It just, yeah. and then she ends up the jumping scene with the, the to kill herself. Wait, is that the scene with the turtles on the, on the dining yes, table? Yes, it starts okay. off with the turtle on the table and then she's like bouncing from, from her pantyhose, which like can't even happen. But it's just so absurd and enjoyable and dramatic, like all at the same time that you're right. sort of like, you're, like that scene, I was like, okay, I don't know if I'm watching a movie or a play, like, cause it's kind of both. Like I could almost see that whole set, like on a stage, like I would want to see that play, <laughs> you know, if they just continued that for two hours, I would be totally in. Um, I loved that scene. I just thought it was so great. And, and really is just sort of like, one of those moments where you're like, I have no idea what's going to happen. And, um, and the acting was great. I really sometimes still don't understand some of it, but they were the character. I guess I did really enjoy the film. Um, <laughs> it was just like, everybody was so into their character and driven, but yet I wasn't really sure about what, you know, so you were kind of like, I found myself always just sort Certainly of like searching. Yeah, just it was they it had an element of mystery, like of like these okay, these characters were fully dimensional, right? They were like real people that just do things that you're like, oh, oh, and then there's that. Oh, okay. Um, they felt real, a little crazy, you know, all of them were were kind of like a little nutty in their own way. Um, but I liked that because it didn't feel like any of them was a caricature or a stereotype, really. Um the only thing that I will say with Jerry Lewis, though, is that it sort of like took me out just in his scenes because I was like, that's Jerry Lewis. Oh, that's that's interesting. Like I see him and some of the facial expressions he made, which were great. He's a great performer, just sort of like 
almost felt like it was like a little bit like his scenes were a little bit of a different movie. Yeah, he's it's like he was making a guest appearance in the film. Yeah. And so it was just like I could see Jerry Lewis, you know, like I almost should have called him Jerry Lewis in the film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) So um, you know, and it was just a little bit weird. There were some moments that sort of reminded me of like, oh, I was feel like this is like a prelude to fear and loathing in Las Vegas, which I think was like a few years later. Um and uh but I really enjoyed it. Um I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on some of the um things that they wrapped up in the ending in terms I felt like it had a little bit of like a spiritual esoteric element to it. Um and I uh, you guys can take it away now, Seth or Abram. Abram, you wanna go or I'll go? Sure. So um I really uh I, I enjoyed the film and um you know and i had a lot of issues with it at the same time but strangely it's had an effect on me that i didn't anticipate i thought it would be one of those movies where i'd just be like yeah you know or just kind of like would recede into the you know and into the deep recesses of my memory oh yeah and i would Mm -hmm. just like lose affection for it but actually when i think about the film i'm like there, I have fond memories of it. It's been weeks since we've seen it because we've been delayed. But, um, you know, it is a movie I'd, I would like to go back and revisit in the future. I think the one major stumbling block for me, the thing that made it um, not, made it difficult for me to sit through was the fact that it was, each scene was like, everything was like one non sequitur after another. Mm. Uh, there things didn't get tied together and there was, there was zero predictability. You have no, you, and and the more that would happen throughout the movie, um, the more, the more it created a sort of anxiety, which is like, what the fuck am I watching? Because you have the, the first scene, it it got more and more uncomfortable as the movie went on, because you start to realize like there are no patterns and there is nothing I can anticipate. And when you're doing, when you're dealing with storytelling, you, and this is true with any kind of art, I think, really, because all art forms are a form of storytelling. Every all, all human communication is a form of storytelling and we live in stories. So if there's nothing identifiable, if you don't have a scene that sets up another scene where you're like, I think this might happen or this could happen or that like there's a realm of possibilities. And then it's some slight variation of what you anticipate it's very difficult to feel fully engaged in the story. Now, if you go into this movie understanding that it's going to be a series of ridiculous, um, capricious, non sequiturs and weird character stuff, uh, almost like a, literally they do tell you in the title, it's kind of like watching a dream uh, because that kind of stuff does happen in dreams. Although I would say this film makes less sense than most dreams do. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but but that's why um, I remarked to Sean that what I, I think with this director's genius is and what he's really accomplished in this film is what John Cage accomplished in the world of classical music, because he did the exact same thing. He wanted to break down all recognizable form of, of music making and create music that actually um, that you couldn't anticipate anything um, that would come next. And you know, he succeeded in that and in, in a, in a lot of a lot of the work that he did. But this is I mean, it's truly a masterpiece. 
the the um, the shots are set up incredibly well. And Sean mentioned earlier that the film employs um, really long takes, long shots that, um, you know, I think most people don't even notice that when they're watching movies, but that, that, that's become more and more rare in uh, mainstream filmmaking. And because it's much more demanding on the actors, the director, the cinematographer, all the technicians, there's, you know, a lot like film seems to rely a lot on cuts and edits in order to uh, compensate for mistakes and things of that nature. So it, there's clearly a lot of deliberateness in this. And you're watching a, this, it's an incredible theater piece. The acting is amazing. There are, mo there are moments that are really like laugh out loud, hilarious. Hilarious. So absurd. Yeah. Hilarious. Um, just, you know, uh, but I think the way, what would have would have made this film perfect for me and maybe not for other people, but is if every scene was like a music video and they did like a different song for every scene. Because <laughs> it really, it, even though there isn't like, the music is really cool that they, the, that they use. It was like this kind of weird, like, like uh, room, dance, room, dance room. hall type of indie dance hall kind of like. But it, it like, it like had a beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah it had a beat. It, it was cool. And I think if they had done, if, if they had done a song for each scene, it would have been, I don't know, maybe like one long music video. It, it may, it may have, that may have been able to carry it better or something. I don't know, but it's definitely um, an interesting film. I, I don't really have anything bad to say about it. I just think that it's difficult to sit through movies like because of the things that I, I, I was just identifying. Let me just make a note of that. The original cut is 142 minutes. I saw the two hour version. So there's like a missing 24 minutes of this movie. So, so I guess there's another one that's, this movie's even longer, which is actually kind of cool. And I want to try to check check that, that out. But I was wondering, uh, Seth Michaels' point of view, especially the acting, how did it affect you? Me? Yeah. You? Yeah, the acting is fabulous in this movie. Is it? Okay. I, I don't think there's one bad performance in this film um it's the great cast it was cast perfectly great I think. Cast. Yeah. they have I great mean, chemistry they have great chemistry there there's um there's something really real about lily taylor and faye dunaway's relationship okay. like i've seen neurotic families that, that fight that way like it's just like oh well i'll just kill myself you know like it's it's you, you can see how they push each other's buttons the same way consistently. And when you first meet them and then they do that dynamic, it feels very like, oh, they do this all the time to each other. Like this is how they exist with each other and can't stand each other at the same time. They also have um, a very unusual relationship being like step stepmother, widow, widow, stepmother and stepdaughter who yeah. controls the purse strings because she yeah. she was the one who inherited from her father and the wit it's just very weird. Yeah, it's like, very um, weird symbiotic relationship. It's very Chekhovian because like in Uncle Vanya, the mother is dead, yeah. and then the professor was married to the mother and now has a new wife. So like and, and Vanya is related to the original mother. So it's like this whole 
So this is this, this is a similar thing where like those two are thrown together and somebody controls the purse strings of the other and they have no blood genetic genetics in between the two of them. Just can I can I say them. can I yeah. say this? I, I do like the screenwriting too, because these characters seem I I mean this as a compliment, but they kind of seem like cartoonish, but yet real. And I, and I say cartoonish because when I mean cartoonish, it's like when like you don't imagine the character having any sort of life beyond what you're seeing them in, you know. Uh, that's they're not like, the, like that's what I mean. They're not behaving was, in any way that we can identify as like no, right. normal human behavior. They're just right. but I think they, it, nothing they do makes any sense. But it works because they each have a desire, and as silly as whatever, because Lily Taylor wants to be a turtle. That's her desire. But it still kind of works as silly as it sounds because then you imagine that type of dysfunctional relationship she has with Faye Dunaway maybe just fried Lily Taylor's mind to want to just become a turtle because they're free and they have and she has all these preconceived notions about, about it, uh, which I think that really works. And like they even Faye Dunaway, she wants to fly. And she does in the movie, uh, Vincent uh, Gallo wants to... I don't know. I think he just wants, he wants to, to be, be an, an actor. actor, but like almost living the like the Cary Grant life. And I also think that's he's the best the through line of the whole movie. Yeah, he Vincent he is. Gallo's character yeah. makes the movie uh, work, in my opinion, to the degree. Yeah, that he, he is like the glue because he brings Johnny in, and then and like he's there, and he's uh, that friendly. scene where he does the stand up South by Southwest thing, North North by Northwest. <laughs> North by right, North. You're by thinking Northwest. the festival, thinking the, the music. Festival. You're thinking a music festival. <laughs> no, sorry, North by Northwest. This is that's a, a obvious error on my part. North by Northwest, the Hitchcock film. It it that's absurd and hilarious that scene, and then it gets played out again with Faye Dunaway. It's a scene for for the audience. It's the scene and and Vincent Gallo gets up on uh, at some weird like hillbilly like strange open mic where the yeah. old people in the yeah. audience are voting. I mean, it's totally And they weird. cut in with the movie. And they, they cut, cut in, with the, with, the and they cut in with the original movie, but they have, he's just like, this, I'm going to do my impression of Cary Grant when he's getting chased by the airplane in North by Northwest. Um, and it's basically just the soundtrack of the plane flying towards him while he's on stage at an open mic diving onto the floor uh, whenever the, the, the plane noise gets loud enough wow. to where it, it suggests that, you know, it reflects the uh, scene. And he's jumping the on the stage. He's jumping on the stage and diving and sliding. And people are laughing in the crowd. And then eventually people are booing. And then eventually they're pulling him off the stage. But then he's uh, like, I was a 10. I was a 10. That yeah. was 10. That was but, brilliant. What but it was, it was a 10. I mean, it was a brilliant. It was, it was pretty brilliant. brilliant yeah. of the performance. Yeah. Um, and then that, that, scene, that scene gets replayed when Faye Dunaway finally does succeed in uh, taking control of her rickety flying machine that she built. Um, and she starts chasing Vincent Gallo uh, in, you know, out, outdoors on, you know, in Arizona. Hey, where Judy. And mm -hmm. Judy, that's that's kind of kind of like uh, the pretend world of the performing the North by Northwest, and then in the mo movie reenacting the scene. That's like fantasy and reality switching boundaries. Yeah, 
that's what the French do. There was a lot of American cinema homage. I wrote it down. He did North by Northwest. There was an homage to Gone with the Wind at the decoration played in the end. I think there was a clip from Raging Bull in there some, somewhere. He also did the most famous scene ever in film. Vincent Gallo did it by himself. The the Michael Fredo scene in Godfather Part Two, which oh, yeah. is one of the most famous scenes in history, and he's doing it. And uh, he's doing just, it while he's watching it. the movie in his bedroom. It's weird because Vincent Gallo Sicilian, Michael Corleone Fredo Sicilian. See, yeah, he's ma- you're making connections there. Yeah, baby. Wow. <laughs> He's also hammered, I think, in it. Is he? Right? In like real life? No, no, no. Actually, well, maybe. Maybe, I Actually, I, I emailed Vincent Gallo for this uh, pod- podcast, and I bought merch off his website. I got the Brown Bunny sa- soundtrack and a, like a homoerotic magazine he yeah. signed. This is from like oh two. This was 80 bucks. I think it's beyond homoerotic. I think it's... Yeah, uh, it's weird. Sean has a massive... Um, Man crush on Vincent Gallo. Vincent Gallo. He emailed. He emailed me back. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what? At like 7 a.m. Well, let's shout out, riser, yeah. shout out to Vincent Gallo for being. Um, what is the? What are you doing, bro? Don't. We're gonna get demon. We're gonna get this banned. This is the for magazine. That. Okay, don't all right. I just wanted to show on. the magazine. I'm done. I just really wanted to show it. the magazine. Nobody wants to see that, Sean. No. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm sure somebody that. wants to see it, but I yes. don't think they'll watch our show. No. $80. Bucks. $80. To get a signed magazine. Yeah. From this the, is one of the cheaper okay. items, but, yeah. but I figured I would have to buy at least two if I'm going to get how them much, on email. How much is it to have Vincent Gallo come over to your house for the weekend? $50,000. $50, you but get no. you. Listen, you get shout, shout out to Vincent Gallo for <laughs> sticking to his guns and doing what he <laughs> believes in and holding on to his values and principles. I listened to that Since Howard Stern interview afterwards. Uh, and it, it was, I was actually really impressed with him. It, even yeah. though I, I don't know, I didn't see Brown Bunny yet. Maybe I'll go, I'll go see it. But, um, you know, That's he just good. does, he does his thing. And now he hadn't worked, he hasn't been in a film in a very long time. And now the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro and, and all those guys started a production company. And like he's starring, he's coast, or he's got a major supporting role in this new film yeah, I'll look it um, up. I forget yeah, what look it's, it up. Called it's called. Shut in. Shut in. Yeah, it's about. Shut in. It's, okay. it's, it's a thriller, it. and um, I haven't seen it yet. But I have. I'm a full disclosure. I'm a Daily Wire uh, subscriber, so um, you know, as many people as that might piss off. But there are starting to produce. <laughs> they are starting to produce some really mm-hmm. good independent film content. So. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. This looks you know, good. Good, good for Vincent Gallo for getting back onto film, and I know he says he only does it for the money, but um, you know, I'm looking. He's lying. That. Well, who knows? Yeah. I think it's true when you're doing so, when you've been doing something for so long, and you and and the fantasy of it is starting to fade away. You know, unless you're like a Woody Allen type, like you master of the whole, you can do whatever the hell you want every time you do it. You know, you're playing with. You're just you're you're a craftsman working with craftspeople building building a chair, and you put your care into it or whatever. But you're doing it to make a buck, you know. I don't I don't yeah. I don't have any illusions about that. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, no that that was um, he was great. Um, Lily Taylor was amazing. 
I mean, yeah. she's, she's I, amazing. I, she's always I amazing. Think, I, I, I can't I've think never of seen a her do bad anything Lily bad. Taylor produ- yeah. performance ever. Yeah. I, I saw The Haunting twice because of her. Is she conservatory? Like, did she go to Juilliard or something? Oh, I'll I'll check it out. I don't know. I guess she could. Does been. not use she the seems classical. I know that. I know that. Yeah, she's but not she's, a proponent. She, I, I believe that she seems like a very like like traditional like conservatories um, trained uh, actor. All right, actress, ready? But, she yeah. went to DePaul University. She lives it's in Rhinebeck. <laughs> Shout out to Lily Taylor. I might. I think I might have served her once when I was working in the cafe. DePaul up there. has Christ. a very good uh, acting program, or it used to. DePaul. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, where's Judy? I can't see her on my screen here. I see her. Oh, okay. I'm all. What did weird. you do, Sean? What did you do, Sean? Now I'm all squished over uh, over here because I'm I'm uh, doing some research. Wow. That's why you got to have your phone. You do the research on the phone. Let's see. Hmm. Born in Illinois. Illinois. Wow. Yeah. You know what I you know what I liked also also and what I noticed about French films is that is that they do a lot of book endings. So not along with just uh, not just the Eskimo thing. Johnny Depp had a monologue in the beginning yeah. and in the end and he brings up uh two things both times. One thing is that his mother used to wake him up when he was a boy as in saying good night Columbus or something or like good well, morning l- Columbus. Listen. Listen. The French are um they've They've, they used to be good storytellers, but what happened to them is they're, they're became, they started to decline as an empire. And I think that's why their, the, the motto changed. Uh, I think their storytelling motto is start well and end well, and in the middle is nobody's business. Oh, is that, that, that makes that's sense. That's what it seems to me to be uh, with them and in all of their mid-sense, all of their like, what 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 is that movement? What would the film movement be called? Seth uh, Truffaut and all those it's guys. It's the new wave, the French new wave movement. French new wave. It's like after the like it's post. Um, uh, what they call it neo realism. Is that what it was called? Like the early Fellini. Yeah, it's 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 the whole thing that like no one had done was like no one did movies at that point where like you would have a robbery, but really it's about the guys sitting around in a diner talking about women. And that the robbery is like incidental, you know, like yeah. all that stuff that we associate with like Scorsese and Tarantino and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. No one had done that before. So, but their, ver- but their version of it is excessive. Like yeah. the Americans took it and like, Took the best. Stuff. They took the style of it and still yeah. re- and, and still remained storytellers. Yeah. The French threw the story out the window. Yeah, they're. I think. I think they're. I think of it as in like they're just into philosophies, and also so this Good Morning Columbus thing that his mother used to say, and Johnny Depp said the same anecdote about his father twice in the beginning and in the end about a hat is like having a job. Mm. So if you walk down the street. You don't have to be embarrassed about your ass because you're wearing a hat. And it's it's a nonsensical type of thing. But it's, I guess, before you see a movie, you hear something like that that makes you think some sort of weirdo life philosophy. And it colors how you see the film. And then once you see the film, it wraps it up in the same philosophy, too, and, and like brings the point home for whatever it means to you individually. It's and the French are really good at that. It's philosophy for stoners. 
<laughs> it was the nineties. They saw early nineties was a confusing yeah. time, man. Everybody yeah, man. was having a good time. You put like the hat on and you know, yeah. you go to and it, the meaning yeah. and, the, and it's, yeah. 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 Was um was Johnny Depp's character I'm trying to think because he references so that opening scene when it goes to the movie, I was completely confused, of course, because it has nothing to do with it. And then later on, they're asking him, tell the story that you wrote. And he starts talking about the one eyed fish that swims on the bottom. And it's like a story that he came up with, which then they go back to at the end with Jerry Lewis and they they do they catch the fish. I can't remember for the fish. He did. Yeah. Oh, in the end, yeah, and then it flies. So flies then the away. fish flies. Um, so it's sort of, but I think, am I remembering that correctly? That he wrote that story. Is Johnny Depp a writer? Or his character is a yeah. Writer? He's some sort of like he's written poetry and like lyrics and stuff. Okay. So he's probably a stranger, right? He like works for the Department of Fish and Game or he something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In New York City. In, in New York, so he has because he's tagging the fish and. And it has all that all that theme. Can I let's discuss my favorite scene? I, I rewound it a few times. The the Jerry Lewis death scene should be taught in fucking film class. It with the music, the lighting, even the style of the acting, because it was very heavy. It was almost like a soap opera and melodramatic, but it, it worked. It was the perfect tone for that for that scene. And in the end, with the music was amazing that tribal uh, drum thing. And then the ambulance goes right up to the moon and it, that shot holds. It's, it was like 20 seconds of the ambulance just going on up to, up towards, towards the moon. I saw that thing a few times. I'm like, how did they do that? It was fascinating. Judy, did, did, you, did you have like a scene in this film that, that just hit you weird? The dinner scene. And when she jumps off the balcony and is jumping up and down with the pantyhose and they're, I think because they, it kind of reminded me of Clue because they're all doing something of importance to them within one scene that just is like, they're all really dedicated. It's just, it's funny and it's serious at the same time. Um, I think Vincent Gallo was like under the table or something at that point. Uh, he's and, no, and then, yeah, he takes up his dinner plate and they yeah, push the table. Is that what and he's, then he's like, hey. Johnny's like, hey, Vincent, hey, hey, Paul. His name is Paul in the movie. I need help with this. And he's in Paul. I'm, e- I'm eating. I'm eating. Yeah. <laughs> Does that, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, they're also, I was curious too. This is uh so she keeps not dying. And there's a scene of her with Johnny Depp with the gun. Yeah, the and, Russian like, roulette. Go off. There's all these things. Was it her father and and um the ex-husband of the step, obviously the same person? Uh, was I, I was wondering, was there some sort of spiritual or paranormal essence to it? Because even at the end, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched the film yet, when she does actually kill herself at the end and the tree gets struck by lightning, I was wondering, are they trying to, to me, it seemed like the father was trying, almost had a role in that. Am I making this up? No, no, it's cool. None of that I think it works. my mind, but it could could be. Okay. I thought of something else, as in like action in in the in the characters also exists in nature, and that's what like you know mm-hmm. it was it just made it more romantic. My whole that. my whole thing is that like there was a moment where it was stated in the narration that the gun was introduced. Is am I, am I remembering that right? The gun existed 
in the film because somebody had to use it at some point. Oh, yes. the, uh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so, so it was like somebody had to get shot and it just happened to be her. Um, that was my like, kind of how I took it. Like it was a, really sort of arbitrary. Like I think mm -hmm. everything was arbitrary. It, it was stream of consciousness. Oh, it was the scene in the bar. Vincent Gallo was talking to him and he said, I think he had something to do with script or was he put the, the gun down on the table and they said, just so you know, whenever you see a gun in a movie, oh, yeah. it's always going to come. They, they placed it differently yeah. and different. There was like, it was the rule of three. They had it three times in the bar. Then when they were shooting themselves and then when she actually shot herself. You mean when they were doing the Russian roulette is the yes. second one. So yeah. There's three right. there at least three scenes with the gun. So yeah, that's cool. I mean, this might be one of those movies where I, if I watched it over and over again, I would find like I would eventually piece together like a very coherent, clear cut narrative. But something tells me that that's that wouldn't happen. But it's possible. I mean, because yeah. when I saw like first time I saw Mulholland Drive, I was like mm -hmm. that stuck with me. And then I was like, I don't completely understand what this is about. It's sort of dreamlike, and and then I saw like five more times and I was like okay I think I have an idea of what this could be about like every single thing I think I can string this whole thing together now and yeah. make a co coherent narration out of it what was real what wasn't real what you know what was fantasy what was reality and I like unlike with David Lynch I who I think is kind of a master at doing these kinds of those kinds of things mm -hmm. I'm not sure you could do that with this movie but again I only saw it once so I have to give the benefit of the doubt and say maybe there's a lot more there that I, I just didn't pick up on it because I only saw it once. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. Reminds yes. me a lot of um, the show Northern Exposure. Remember the show Northern Exposure? He cleaned really up the it. Emmys, man. That, got, yeah. that show got a lot of Emmys. It was Adam Arkin. Adam Arkin had a part in it, yeah, and um, it was the late 80s, early 90s. It was Rob. Uh, it was during Twin Peaks. Who was the leader? Who was the leader? Rob, Rob Moreau. Rob Morrow. Yeah, Rob Morrow was in it. And it's about a guy who goes up to Alaska from New York City. And he gets trapped there for like a year to be their doctor. And there was all these Eskimo scenes in it and dreams. Just like and Twin it, Peaks. Yeah, it was, it was, it was like a friendlier nuttier Twin Peaks yeah. and it was by uh, David uh, David E. Kelly David Chase who did Sopranos was it? oh really yeah. David Chase's last show before he goes over and creates Sopranos that's why there's so many dreams in it and like there's a Freud episode there's a Jung episode yeah, there's a lot of um, precursors to the dreams in Sopranos but, um, yeah, I never liked that chick with the mole. I couldn't, I couldn't get into it because of her. She just rubbed me the wrong, the wrong way. But I, she's so I, hot, Janine Turner. Yeah, I know she's hot, but that, that mole. Like I remember her in a car commercial back then, and it kind of creeped me out. She's, I don't know. It was, I just thought she would look like Evelyn from He Man. Hold, hold on, there's an ambulance coming. <laughs> the cops are coming her. for you, Sean. I liked her mole. It was like a continuation of her, like eyebrow. Like it was the same size of her eyebrow. It just looked like part of her eyebrow got shaved off. And I don't know. I don't. Anyway, I thought she was. I thought she was good. She, okay, was, in, okay. uh, she was in Cliffhanger. 
with Stallone. Yeah. That 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 movie just came to Netflix, baby. I fucking tweeted about that. I know that, what I'm man. doing I'm this weekend. I'm doing yeah, it, right? <laughs> Take my this hand. Is there, man. He I like his shit. Assassins was really good too. Some of those films are really good. But back, yeah, but like like back to Arizona Dream. I just kind of liked it how Vincent Gallo played a Sicilian because he's he's just so Sicilian. And yeah, and the way that they kind of played like him and uh was it like the uncle teamed up and like oh, yeah, they were Jerry Lewis. the whole car dealership like through line was so weird. It was almost like it was like really important to it's like what the French think Americans are. Well, it was, yeah, okay, that makes sense. No, it was like, it, it was so, it was like almost like he, he goes to Faye Dunaway to like rescue his nephew and pull him back so that he'll take over the car dealership. And almost like he didn't have a legacy or something and he needed Johnny Depp to take over and, or whatever. I don't know. That, that, that whole like obsession with getting them to work in the car dealership was very weird to me. But and I, then that got yeah, that got brought up in the ambulance scene where yeah, Johnny where Depp says, is trying to get Jerry Lewis. I've been practicing my hellos. I've been practicing my hellos, Louis. You want to hear my hellos? And he's, <laughs> and like, he's ah, like, I don't want you. Like, to. Uh, yeah. Honestly, Seth, you and me, let's do that scene. I'll be sure. Jerry. You could be Johnny. Sure. All right. I'll be. I mean, I'll, I don't mind being. I'll be Jerry. You want to be Johnny? Right. And then yeah, we'll yeah, do it both. Yeah, sure. Oh, we can do it. Like okay. this next scene is from Arizona Dreams. <laughs> I bet I would do scenes from Last Boy Scout, baby. Oh my god. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just so glad I remembered this uh, film, and then I researched it. So let's. Uh, I think I f I found the box office. So guess mm -hmm. what this movie brought in? Very little. One hundred. Well, I'd say it. Very little. I don't know. One hundred twelve thousand dollars. And how this much did it cost? Was at least three million. It was. It, do, it doesn't say, but it was at least at least three mil, million. And there was a there's a version that's longer, man. I want to. I want to check this. Check this out. It's like I went. I've been to film school. They don't teach these these gems. By the way, you always got to start with. Oh, like, oh, hey, I don't want to get into it. But uh, yeah, probably the structure isn't there. You need to learn like proper structure. I guess. But how many times can you see D.W. Griffith? You know, and then it's just going throughout the semester in any film film class. You got to go through all like the same. It's the same stuff. I get it. But, you know, there's also others, uh, whatever, that you could that that you could show. And I don't know, even uh, Vincent Gallo, he did Buffalo 66 and 98 a few years after this, which is a masterpiece. And then he did the Brown Bunny a few years after after that, but uh, you know, I just see it just seems so weird because because I don't know to me it just seems like Johnny Depp is one of the coolest guys in the world, but Vincent Gallo was right there with him. That's that's all I was I was thinking. You know, how many movies are there where Johnny Depp narrates the movie? That's what that's I was thinking when I watched this movie. Hello. He narrates the movie. Oh yeah, blow yeah. Um, this one. Did he did he narrate Donnie Brasco a little bit or no? I, th or I think so. I think I only saw that once. Um, I think he does even. I think there are others that he. He's, 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 been, he's, he's been so many. Um, he's got a good voice for it. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, I love him in Crybaby. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of my mom's favorite films. She had it on VHS. She's like, Sean, watch this. I hope I had it too, because I watched it a lot. What about 21 Jump Street? Mr. Crybaby to you. It wasn't a huge 21 Jump Street. I think it was a little bit, I don't. It was 90, 1990. I might not have it was a little after. watched much. I was kind of, yeah, it, was it was a little, a little bit before our time. Yeah. Like Jump Street was like 86 to 89. Yeah, I was, was Yeah, my sister, my older sister was really into it. I remember that. Yeah. Every, every girl in high school when that came out had a massive crush on Johnny Depp. I'll tell you this. I mean, he's Here's like a Jesus high school story. student who's like an undercover agent. I mean, that's, you know. I remember my sister had the team beat. And on one day, had the full page of actors and stuff, you know, like weirdo headshots from photo shoots. And on one page, it was Johnny Depp. And on the other page behind the Johnny Depp page was River Phoenix. And my sister was like, I don't know what to hang up. They're both so hot. So she got a chair, went on her ceiling and put a, a push pin like right on the top. So both sides hang down like like this. So you could see Johnny on one side and River on the other. Those were the days, huh? Do kids still put posters out? Huh? No, I'm like, because I feel like it's iconic of at least our generations and, and oh, the they, preceding it where they put up posters of people around their room. And no, I'm like, no, is that still like a 91. thing? I don't know. Yeah, now the kids, they buy digital poster NFTs and they put them up in the living room in their metaverse universe. Oh, is that yeah, what they I do? Know. I don't know. I mean, a lot of I just got a I just got a Batman exist online nowadays. There, there are posters, but a lot of them are like you just print out your own poster. It's like I was over at uh, Forbidden Planet to get Shane a poster, and they do have them, but the amount of posters they have are are much less because anyone can just go online True. and make a poster out of anything. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know if it's a thing of like teenage girls having like the new heartthrob poster on their wall, like people did back in the nineties with Johnny Depp or like the Backstreet Boys. I I was like never into the Backstreet Boys, by the way. I was like anti-boy band. Yeah. I was like, no. I was like listening to Stravinsky and Charlie Parker when that stuff was coming out. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I, re- I remember getting into getting into jazz and blues because those cassettes and CDs were cheaper than conventional music. I'm like, you know what? Let me get into blues. It's good, right? And bought a bunch. You know what I think out. a lot of teenagers, especially teenage girls used to do, or maybe this is only because I saw my sister do it, was like they would cut out things from magazines that they liked and put that up on their wall because then they could have yeah, more stuff on their wall because they're smaller. My sister yeah, used to like... A lot of stuff on our walls. What's that? <laughs> I do remember there was always stuff on the walls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess people do that now with like vision boards. Now it's more like manifest your destiny. <laughs> I'm just trying to do it with art. Like I got a bunch of paintings up now. I'm happy. Like I'm going to be like an old school art collector. Yeah. So Wait, can uh, I ki- we got to wrap it up here. Soon. Yes. All right. We're going to have Hold some on, final let- thoughts. Yes. Let me give let me give a Johnny Depp heartthrob line from the movie. He said, uh, what if we're two rights and everyone else is wrong? That's hot. That's hot. I do like that uh, Good Morning Columbus thing. I think I might do that in real life. I'll just do that with Sarah. Like in the morning, she always goes, uh, every morning she says the same thing to me and I'm forgetting it. Oh, she says, good morning, sunshine. And I'm going to come back with Good Morning Columbus from now on. 
Okay. She won't <laughs> understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I know, but she'll respect it. So, right? <laughs> if she respects that, those you, are, those she'll are my, respect it. Those are my final thoughts as well as I'm going to take this video. I'm going to send it to Vincent Gallo, and we'll see if he'll watch it all the whole time. Because half of my mind thinks he will just because he wants to hear his name said. And the other half of me thinks he won't because he's too busy for this shit. Well, you know, let's, be, so, let's be real about it. He doesn't, like... He does whatever he wants. I don't. Yeah, think, that's what. Yeah, that's I don't what think I like about. He, him. I don't think that this stuff selling stuff online is something he's doing because he needs to make money. He knows how to make money. He's 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 made a lot of money he outside has, of yeah. film. Yeah. He's successful. Like he's he. It's very clear. There's a guy who knows how to hustle. So like mm. he's doing what he wants to do. This is like if he's if he's selling his ch childhood bed sheets. He's For getting thirty five hundred dollars getting his rocks off by doing that somehow like that's, <laughs> i don't know what it is but that's part of his like artistic expression that's what he wants to do oh and those one-on-one t-shirts i don't think he, he has really cares like enough to sit don't through you think though he probably has that attitude conversation. Like some artists are like you're an idiot if you buy my stuff you're just a, you're just i do i do yeah a I, little yeah, bit maybe a little yeah. a, a little bit it's yeah, also yeah. it's also just like like curiosity. I mean, I'd just be curious, yeah. I guess. Like, yeah, it's 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 performance art. Mm -hmm. Judy, uh, Judy, do you have any final thoughts? No, I think it's just it's one of those movies. It's definitely. Um, I don't know if it'll be for everybody because, um, especially people who really like easy to follow, entertaining stories, uh, and maybe aren't. Maybe like films for more of their entertainment. Maybe they'd like, you know, uh, What Stays in Vegas or what, what was the name of that movie? They might like that more than they would like this. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't think this movie is for everyone, but I do think it's worth a shot. Um, I do think especially anyone who is, uh, you know, a film connoisseur or an actor or a filmmaker should yeah. definitely watch the film. Um, but for a general something. audience, I'm not really too sure. Maybe it's just for the cool people. I got, I got one other Johnny Depp-ism. Ready? Your other side. You lose something, but you gain something. I think I read that wrong. <laughs> like, it's just like, say anything. Did that make any sense, what I just said? Did it make any sense? It's exactly the problem with... with <laughs> that yes, that okay. sums up the problem with this film. Is so, uh, so our next video, we're not going to do a recommended movie, but we're going to do a year in review. Wait, okay. we're not doing a new movie next? No, no, no I thought we were going to do a we'll year in review. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Fine. Year in review. It'll it'll give me it'll give me time to figure out what the next movie should be. Oh, anyway. I was going to say. I was going to say, what's the next one, Seth? I don't know. I don't know what it is yet. It might be. Uh, uh, if we can find uh, Evening Primrose, we could do Evening Primrose. Um, that Sondheim movie musical that was only aired once on TV. It was like oh. a it was like a variety show type of thing. Like it was a it was a it was a, it was like a, a series. Yeah, it was a variety show. It was no, a, not a variety show. It was a series, like a but broadcast. The, but the but the each broadcast. broadcast yeah. yeah, but each episode didn't necessarily have any. Like there was no kind of cohesive no it's like a twilight zone basically. no but it was even it was even like twilight zone is about like weird this was like not not every twilight zone has a sci-fi component yeah, this, is, wasn't, yeah. this wasn't genre specific this series it was kind of random 
Yeah. Uh, and this happened to be one of the more well-known ones. I, I, I haven't seen it. I only know about it from Yousef. Yeah. I um, saw it at the Museum of TV and Radio, so I don't know if it's even available online, but I'll, I'll look for it. And if not, I was thinking about uh, Peter Jackson's Meet the Feeples, which is his saw that uh, one. Which is his X-rated Muppet show. But is that his first one? First, first one? I don't think it's his first movie, but it's... It's like his second or his third. It might be the second or third, yeah. You know what's funny? <laughs> the The citizens of New Zealand paid for the budget for those films. That's that's it. Done. Because it's it's socialism that they taxes. I just think it's like he like he as taxpayer dollars, baby. Like bad taste if you ever seen seen that. Canadians pay for Cronenberg movies, so I mean, like the first one. Cronenberg, like everywhere but wait, Cronen Cronenberg's films were were funded by the government. By the Canadian, by the Canadian film tax dollars. Yeah, the CBC. It's their state. Thing, yeah, All yeah, right. right. Folks, well, we're we're gonna see you guys next week with uh, the year in review. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you guys about our Arizona dream and uh, peace. <laughs>